With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. What's up, everybody? This is Stick to Football, Bleacher Reports, college football and NFL draft podcast. I'm Matt Miller, joined as always by my buddy Connor Rogers. And Connor, we have a kick ass show today, man. We're so much news to get to. We're going to preview the Senior Bowl rosters. We got about 29 invites that have come in. And always, we're going to close it out with the people's draft on draft questions. I'm still kind of recovering from Ohio State. I don't know how you are feeling. I was just going to say that I fought. This is the first morning where I woke up and I was like, okay, I'm back to normal. Columbus puts on a show and we had a great turnout from all our listeners, not just Ohio state fans. We had Michigan fans there. Uh, our guy, Mel Kuyper senior rocking the LSU. Oh, I love it. I mean, we had a really nice turnout. So thanks to everyone that stopped by a tailgate tour appearance this season. We had so much fun. We already started talking about next year. That's how excited we are. But before we get into all that, Matt, it's we're inching closer to draft season here. I mean, we got, like you said, Senior Bowl invites have been sent out. Some have been confirmed, and, and you always hope they stay that way. We got guys, top guys, declaring early for the NFL draft. This is a wave that always hits, really, these next three weeks. A lot of guys are going to skip bowl games because those bowl games don't mean anything to their draft stock anymore besides the fact that they can risk getting hurt. And, of course, some news in college football and the NFL that's draft-related. So, a lot going on. I think we need to start with these early declarations. Two really big ones at wide receiver, DK Metcalf and Nikhil Harry, two guys that are fighting to be at the top of their position group. Rashawn Gary, a player that's been had, you know, all kinds of peaks and valleys here, but is still going to be a first round prospect. And the final one is Chauncey Gardner Johnson, a kind of versatile safety player out of Florida. So What's your early takeaways as these guys decide to leave early for school? Yeah, man, no surprises, I don't think. Uh, of the the list that we've seen so far, I think the biggest, I wouldn't even call it a surprise, maybe the one that you're just like, uh, he, we were on the fence, didn't know if he would come out, would be Chauncey Gardner-Johnson from Florida, a guy who's a, a versatile defender in the secondary. He could, play nick, he could play nickel, he could play some corner, has definitely played at safety before, so... I like him of the guys. I would say he's the one with the lowest draft grade of the guys who have come out so far, but at six foot tall, 210 pounds, there are a lot of different roles he can play. I know some Florida fans got my mentions because I said he was physical. I think he can be physical, especially for that slot nickel position. Like he has size. He's been an active tackler. Uh, The LSU game, the Georgia game stood out to me uh, just from my notes on him as a guy who can set the edge a little bit in the run game and make some plays. He only had two picks on the air, so I think there are going to be questions about ball skills, but he has been a very, very good player over the last three years for them, so I, I liked him a lot. I, I think the one I'm probably most excited about, like Rash- Rashawn Gary has had like a rough year. You know, he's been banged up, and I think at times we like forgot just how good of an athlete he is and how dominant he can be, and 
I know you and I have talked before, man, that we feel like he maybe even played out of position at Michigan because they did ask him to like, play out on the edge at times. He's 6'5", 280 pounds, so he's he's definitely has the body type to do that a little bit, but I want to see him on the inside in the NFL as probably more of a three-technique pass rusher with his quickness, but there's a reason he was the number one recruit in that 2016 class, the guy's coming out of college, and he's right out of your backyard in Jersey, and I would say this year was maybe a disappointment for him at Michigan, but he still has the talent to be a top 10 pick when it's all said and done, maybe a top five pick, and it, it could be one of those deals where we're missing the forest for the trees. Like we're getting so caught up in how he did this year and the injuries and, and looking at the stats instead of stepping back and be like, you know what, before the year, this was one of the best players in the draft class. And after the year, probably going to be about the same as long as he checks out medically. Yeah, I think he's a really interesting prospect because you look at him and he seems destined to dominate the process. He, he's going to interview well. He's going to dominate the athletic testing at the NFL Combine. So when you look at Gary, there's going to be multiple teams that sit there and say, well, Michigan didn't get the most out of him. Remember, this is a player that was high, you know, more highly rated than Ed Oliver coming out of high school. That means something. And teams are going to see a ceiling with Gary that probably makes him a top 10, top 15 selection. Like you said, Matt, he does have the ceiling to get into the top five. I think the problem with that is that there are simply more special players in this class than him. And that starts with Nick Bosa on the edge, who will yeah. probably go number one overall. Quinnen Williams with the rise that nobody predicted as he got his first season as a full-time starter, now probably also going to go in the top five. I still think Ed Oliver's a top five pick, and he's somebody that will put on an absolute show at the NFL Combine, and he'll have to answer some questions about what went wrong towards the end of his career in Houston, which I think he'll own up to those. So Gary is a very, very promising player, but with how loaded this pass rush and interior D-line class is, I can see it going both ways. I can too. And and when you were talking about Rashawn Gary, I, I quickly grabbed my uh, my spreadsheet where I keep everything. And I had put in there, like, I don't think he and Jonathan Allen are similar. Like, they're not, that's not my comparison for him. But I had put in my notes, like, is a Jonathan Allen type player where he's just so good at everything that he's going to have a fit in the NFL that I think people get excited about as a prospect, even if he didn't have the maybe statistically dominant year that a lot of people expected or thought he might be able to have. So I'm still excited about him as a player. The wide receivers, we got two of them declaring. DK Metcalf declared last week. Nikhil Harry officially announced on Monday. And one thing that I feel strongly about with this class, and I expect that we'll see A.J. Brown get in here. Um, we'll probably see Kelvin Harmon jump in. We could see a couple guys from Texas, Colin Johnson and Lil Jordan Humphrey. So it could be a good draft in terms of depth at the receiver position. I don't know if you feel differently, but I see it as like there's not one of those guys that stands out among the pack and really excites me. Like There's not a, a wide receiver that I would want in the top 10. I say this as a Niners fan. We need help a receiver. You're a Jets fan. You guys need help a yep. receiver. But there's not that guy. And there's not someone where it's like, God, I, I, if, if we trade back once from two or three to eight or nine, I hope we get this receiver. There's not that guy in this class. And with Nikhil Harry, we're going to have questions about how well he separates in his routes. I think he's very good after the catch, but we haven't seen him really be a dominant guy in terms of being able just to, to naturally create a lot of separation. And with DK Metcalf, who was very, very good before he got hurt this year, 
But the fact of the matter is, I mean, neck injuries are terrifying. And now you have a guy who's not going to get back on the field after an injury. Like to me, that that's pretty scary. So you suffer that neck injury against Arkansas. You're automatically out for the year. And then you declare for the draft. How are you going to prove that you're able to get back on the field, play at a high level? I'm not, it's way too early to say he made a mistake by declaring early, but I would have really liked to see just some way, shape or form. And I guess it'll happen at the combine with medical checks, hopefully where you get a feel that this guy's ready to go. Yeah. I'm with you, Matt, that you look at this wide receiver class and it's so interesting because I think you and I were guilty early on of calling it not a great group. And I want to rephrase that. I don't think there's a headliner in this group where you sit there and you go, yep, that guy could be a number one wide receiver. They, they all have the ceiling to maybe reach that, but it seems like a class full of number twos, but there's a lot of number twos. When I did a early top 50, I had seven wide receivers in the top 50, which to me is a pretty high number overall. And the most complete player of the group in my eyes is Kelvin Harmon out of NC State. I think he's the safest of the bunch. But if you want to shoot for upside, DK Metcalf has all the upside because he wins contested catch situations. I do think he's a really good athlete for his size, but medicals are gigantic. That can be the difference between him being a round one wide receiver or round four wide receiver. And somebody that I was too low on and you're very high on is Hollywood Brown, who continues to just have a great week after week where you see kind of the way the NFL is trending, where he's a downfield threat. He's actually a better route runner than I think a lot of people realize with pretty good hands. So yeah, is he 170 pounds? Probably, but can guys like that thrive in an NFL where we see so many teams going empty or running spread concepts or trying to push the ball down the field where quarterbacks get out of the pocket and a receiver can work back to them? I do think he translates. So I was admittedly low on him. What have you seen from Hollywood Brown and some of these other guys that are in the conversation to be that standout wide receiver? Yeah, Hollywood is probably my top ranked wide receiver. But I I think and I actually I said this to Mello on our, our drive home from Ohio State, and it's probably something we'll dive into on the Friday show as well. But he is the kind of guy that scares me because, you know, we rank players generally, right? Like we're not scout. We're not scouting for individual teams. So. I'm ranking guys based on fit across the board. He could get drafted somewhere where he's just not a fit, or he could get drafted somewhere like uh, the Rams aren't going to draft a receiver early, obviously, but somewhere where where he's at the bears, where he's just going to be a natural fit, but he could also go somewhere to like Oakland where he's not going to get used or not in a great situation. So to me, Hollywood Brown is very scheme specific. And because of that, he could be the best wide receiver in this class, or he could be an afterthought. And, I think right now it's, is he Sterling Shepard or is he Tyreek Hill? Like which one, which one is it? You know, and some of that's going to depend on usage for him. He is super explosive across the board, like not just after the catch in his route stem. He is very explosive. He can get loose. He creates separation. That scheme also creates a lot of separation. So it, it would be interesting once he does make a decision, I want to sit down and that's going to be probably the number one scouting point for me is how much of this guy's ability to get open is on him and how much is on the scheme. Because we've obviously seen that scheme translate. Baker Mayfield is, is playing very well, very early, and he's doing a lot of things mentally that I don't think any of us expected him to do coming out of that scheme. So some of those questions might be evaporating a little bit. 
But I think with a small guy who's 5'10", probably 165 or 170 pounds, that's something you have to worry about. Is he going to have to play inside? And can he hold up at that level? Because he's going to get banged up. He's going to get jammed. He's going to get knocked around. Just how physical can he be? And, and can he continue to get open? But in the right system, he's the best receiver in this class. Yeah, and I, and I just want to say two guys that I think are being overlooked in this class. One, because of injury. Debo Samuel, he's starting to look like the guy that he was two years ago. I think he can really thrive out of the slot. And I, you know, another thing I love about him is he plays both ways on special teams. He's a really yeah. good return man. He's really good at covering punts and kicks. Another guy that does not really separate, but wins in contested catch situations time after time, J.J. Arcega-Whiteside, a player I hope we do get to see in Mobile because I think that's the kind of place where he can thrive. Yeah, I absolutely agree with you. I, I love Debo Samuel. If he hadn't gotten hurt last year, he probably would have come out and been a round two type player. So now we're getting to the point where we can see hopefully what he's able to do uh, now that he's completely healthy. Uh, he'll be exciting at the Combine. I know some scouts had a very early grade on him this year just because they, they again, feel like with where the NFL is going, someone like Debo fits so well because he can play inside, he can play outside. Like you said, he's valuable in the return game. Those are the areas where he could be really, really impactful very early on. And I, I think the senior bowl is going to be huge for him or, and or the combine, depending on uh, where we see him at. Um uh, some other news and notes other than these early declarations. Let's let's bump through them quickly. Something that you and I, I feel like need to talk about because Mello and I aren't going to get to this on a Friday show. This is where, this is what you and I do. This is our wheelhouse. The San Francisco 49ers cut Ruben Foster. He was the number three overall player, I believe for me. in that 2017 draft class, I loved Ruben Foster. I, I thought he was everything you looked for in a linebacker. He's fast. He could cover, he can rush. He's, he had that toughness and, and leadership that people loved. I mean, his teammates absolutely loved him. Number three player in the class for me. My team gets him at pick 31 overall. They, they steal him from the Saints is what we all say. And now two years later, Ruben Foster's gone because of off-field issues. Solomon Thomas, the guy the Niners picked at three, can't get on the field. And all of a sudden, a draft class that I know I did, I loved it. I thought, this is it. John Lynch has figured it out. They're going to rebuild this great Niners defense. It hasn't happened. And when we, a lot of people panned the Chicago Bears for trading from three to two to get Mitch Trubisky. And I'm, I don't remember exactly what I'm said. I'm sure I made fun of it like everyone else. Two years later, man, look at that Bears draft class in 2017. Those good, I mean, it's the foundation for their team. And the Niners, if they hadn't drafted George Kittle, uh, we would be, it'd be the laughing stock of the NFL. It, it's amazing to me how quickly the story can change. And I think it's important for us as a, as a draft podcast to still call out when things like this happen, that like we all thought the Niners won that trade and the trade value was still very good. But I, I think the important part, because we can now come back and talk about this is you have to draft. Well, when you make a big trade like this, otherwise it doesn't matter. You have to hit on the picks. It's as simple as that. You have to hit on, some of the picks. And right now, as I sit here and look at this, and I think they had a really good draft this year, but going back to 2017, Solomon Thomas is looking like a miss. Ruben Foster was a gigantic whiff, and everyone knew the risks there. There was, right. You know what bothered me? Something I saw on Twitter yesterday from some people was where it's like, well, you know, like, who could have seen this coming? There was 
all of the red flags with Ruben Foster as a prospect. Just because the domestic violence incidents happened during his NFL career doesn't mean there weren't character issues coming out of Alabama. This is somebody, and you could say what you want about the situation, who got kicked out of the NFL combine. And the the issues were much more deep-rooted than that. So you took the risk at the end of the first round because he was a top-10 talent, and you missed. It blew back up in your face. So you miss on number three overall, most likely, unless Thomas turns this thing around and becomes an impact player. Foster's a miss. Akela Weatherspoon has really struggled. C.J. Beathard in the third round was a gigantic reach, and everybody called it at the time. So I'm not killing the Niners here specifically because I do think they've had a really nice draft in 2018 and made some good decisions. But the point is with those trades and having all these picks is you got to hit on them. And they did hit on George Kittle. He's been probably the best player to come out of the fifth round that year. I'll have to look back at the round, but he's been phenomenal. But it just goes back to show you where you can have a strategy to stockpile and everybody can laugh at the team that makes the aggressive move. But at the end of the day, the same thing was said when you look at, you know, the times the Browns traded back. Wasn't it Julio Jones that they traded out of taking and none of the picks hit? These things happen where, and I've seen it more most recently too with the Jets where people were like, how did they go from six to three and gave up three second round picks to do so? Well, they wanted a top quarterback and the Jets have kind of been a disaster this year, but Sam Darnold's going to be very good for a very long time, I think, where you don't really worry as much about those second rounders. The Colts, on the other hand, are a team that shows you Chris Ballard is a guy that will hit on those picks. So it's so important when it comes down to it, not how you acquire them, but what you do with them. Yeah, you you are absolutely right, man. And I I think the the big part of this is you can't overlook off field. And, And so often in this line of work, there are people who will will say, hey, this guy has bad off field. And you will get made fun of by other people in the media. And your your mentions will be destroyed on time. Twitter. All the people time. say, you don't have sources. You don't You're know just trying kid. to hurt this kid. Exactly. Guess what? Ruben Foster got kicked out of the combine, which should have been a huge red flag. And a lot of people made excuses for it. Ruben Foster ha- has a string now of domestic violence uh, allegations. And people kept making excuses for it. It just goes to show that talent will get second chances all day. And it, unfortunately... This is someone who I hope he never plays another down in the NFL. And and it's sad because he's incredibly talented. We saw that in his rookie season when he was probably the 49ers best player. But there's just too much smoke surrounding Ruben Foster. So I I honestly just wanted to, to talk about this trade again, because as someone who is a Niners fan and does radio weekly in Chicago, I really thought it was important to just like take a step back and be like two years in. Now we really feel like there is a little bit of perspective on this trade and man, it it really became a win for the Chicago bears. Time to talk senior bowl. We got early invites accepted across the board. I I got the list up right now. Obviously we've talked a lot about Josh Allen on this show. He's been one of the biggest risers of this group. One of the guys where when people go back to school, you often say, well, I don't know about that. He went back to school and I don't think he could have improved his draft stock any more than he has, but Matt, looking at this list, and you know, some guys will choose in the end that they don't feel the need to go, but right now it's looking pretty good. Who stands out to you where you say they have the most to gain of this early group? Well, you mentioned Josh Allen, man, and I think you're absolutely right. Hopefully we see him actually show up in Mobile because there might be talk by then that he's a top 10 or 15 player, and that can push a guy 
Uh, it, once an agent gets involved, they say, well, you really don't have that much to gain. I would argue that Josh Allen does. You can look at Marcus Davenport last year. Guys can make money in Mobile, and especially in a deep edge class, you need every opportunity to go out there and show what you have uh, as a player, to show your versatility, and the fact that I think I think Allen has been the best linebacker in college football this year. Like, he has nothing to hide from, but I, I know that in the past, there are agents I've been good friends with, and they've said, we will never send a linebacker to Mobile because it's not a great event to showcase their ability. Hopefully because Allen plays on the outside that they'll change their mind to get him down there. Some of the smaller school guys, I'm really excited to see Jalen Ferguson out of Louisiana tech. He's listed as a defensive lineman. I think he's more of an outside pass rusher. Uh, he, he has 38 career sacks. He's a Buckus award semifinalist. He has 10 and a half sacks this year. He, he's been just all over the place for Louisiana tech. So I think it could be a really good event for him to showcase his ability. Uh, there was an early mock draft I did where I actually thought he might be able to slip into the first round. He's 6'5", about 265. So if you watch Louisiana Tech play, I mean, he has some power. He has burst. He can get around the edge. So I was really excited to see that he was on that first list of acceptance. But, you know, his mechanics are are very good. And he's flexible. He's long. He has that quickness to cross up a tackle and get into the backfield. So I really like Jalen Ferguson as, as a guy that, you know, every year we pick like, okay, I can't wait to watch this guy. I, I think he might be the one for me off this list so far where I just really want to see how he does against bigger, better competition. Obviously our guy, O'Shane Zimenez from Old Dominion is in that list too. 12 sacks this year went off against Virginia Tech, but it's going to be important to see what he does as an outside rusher against better competition. Yeah, I would love to see both of those guys because we know so much about Nick Bosa and Cleveland Farrell and Ja'Kai Polite and Josh Allen. You know, the list goes on. When you go to Louisiana Tech or Old Dominion, you don't get the same spotlight until this process starts. So right. for these guys, this is where that spotlight starts. Another player that I've heard really good things about that teams believe might actually be one of the rare interior O-line in this class that could be plug and play. Nate Davis at a UNC Charlotte, another team that we just don't get to see until we get that coach's film. So you look at Nate Davis, go down there, win those one-on-ones, be the Will Hernandez of next year's senior bowl and find your way into the top 60 of this draft. Uh, these are the kind of players that we go down to watch uh, you know, looking across the board at uh, one more, Gerald Willis has really rebuilt his career. I got to go down and see him at Miami this year. I think he's had a stellar season. He's taken a season off. He had some off-field problems. Matt, do you think teams will buy into that Willis has turned this thing around, or do you think he, he really needs to be there and answer some of those questions that this wasn't a one-year wonder? Yeah, he has to. I mean, this is a dude that transferred from Florida. Like you said, he took a year off. He has to go down, I think, and prove that, that number one, that he's not like a fluke of the system because Miami turned out some very good defensive linemen in last year's draft class. And you you have to show that, okay, this isn't just that this scheme works, that you have to show that you're a talented individual player. And I think with Willis, I mean, obviously, if you can play at Florida and Miami, you're pretty damn good at football. So I think he's just going to have to show mentally where he's at, the maturity. I mean, he's 23 years old now. He's going to be 24 within the first week of his rookie season. So he's going to have to show you know, who he is, um, what he can you know, bring to the table. If the, the what's in his past is his past, you know, he he's been dominant this year though. I mean, he was, you know, in the running to be an all American at one point. So 
I really think that this is where, yeah, he needs to show what he is on the field, but he also needs to prove who he is off it. You know, that he's a guy that is going to be a leader and a, a, you know, a, a contributing part of the locker room, but he's very, very exciting as a player. Um, I, I think another guy that you talked about offensive line and hopefully like this is a matchup that we'll see in practice. I'm sure Elston Jenkins, the center from Mississippi state, he might be the the top ranked offensive lineman in this draft class when it's all said and done. Like people absolutely love him. So when you think about it, he's going to be on the South roster or should be, sometimes those things get a little crazy, but we're going to get to see him go against guys like Gerald Willis. We're probably going to get to see him go against Charles and Minahue. We're going to get to see him against maybe Kalen Saunders from Western Illinois, a, a small school player that the teams really, really like. So I think Jenkins and Mississippi state has been up and down this year, but he is incredibly versatile. He's he's played all over the offensive line for them. He's damn near a 50-game starter in college. So he is one of my favorite interior offensive linemen in the class. He's definitely my top-ranked one. I'm excited to see him. But I got to make sure we talk about my guy, Andy Isabella. I love this dude. Not only does he have amazing statistics, just uh, fantastic. He's 5'10", 190 pounds. So people are going to think he's only a slot receiver. He has over 100 catches this year. Almost 1,700 yards and 13 touchdowns. But the biggest thing, Connor, the guy's fast. Like, he might run in the low four threes. So I'm very excited to see Andy Isabella against better competition because he has absolutely dominated this year. Yeah, I I think it's going to be really good to see a skill guy like that, that once again, we don't always get to see. You know, he's not playing in the SEC. He's not playing. So when it comes down to it, this is kind of the place for him to shine. My last question, as we look at these early accepted invites, will anyone at down in Mobile be able to block Zach Allen? I don't know. I don't man. think so. Yeah, I don't. I don't know who would be able to do it. Uh, maybe in the game, he and Jenkins will get. Uh, we'll get to see some one on ones. But man, I I love Zach Allen. We've had him on the podcast, obviously, so we're biased. But his ability to play outside to shift and play down in a one technique. He could play all across the board and, and talk about high character, man. I absolutely love Zach Allen. He he might be a late first, early second round pick when it's all said and done, but that is without a doubt the kind of guy that like teams are going to fall in love with because what he does from a football perspective, and he's you know very, very impressive there, but then what he also brings off the field. If you get a chance, go back and listen to that episode with him on there. Absolutely fantastic guy to talk to. Yeah, as Bill Belichick said, character sets the ceiling while talent sets the floor. So there's your quote for Zach Allen. It is draft on draft time. We are not drinking beers because we are no longer in Columbus, but we're still going to get through all your questions. And this first one from a very loyal listener, Sylvester Valderrama, which media member does Baker Mayfield have a bigger beef with? Woof, that was a lot of play on words there. That's a lot of bees. Matt, my co-host, NFL draft scout, or Damian Woody? Oh man, he went at Woody. Um, I don't. You. That's not a guy you mess with. By no, the way. he's a big man. Uh, <laughs> Baker and I are about the same size. Uh, Damian Woody and I are not. Um, <laughs> man, I I've said before, and he can come on the show and dispute this if he wants to. I would love for him to come on. Baker and I were super cool until I don't know when. I don't know what happened. Um, I really don't know. I think I maybe made a hard knocks joke or something, and he didn't like it, but. Um, yeah, we were, we were always cool. So I, I do feel like there's a beef now, but it's not something where I like, I let it affect my job. Like I said earlier in the show, he's playing extremely well. I mean, he, he's damn near dominant and the Browns are better than they've been in forever. So, uh, I really, really like Baker as a player. 
I'm never going to like the fact that he was an Oklahoma quarterback, and I'm never going to like the fact that he was a Texas Tech quarterback before that, but I think his, I really do think with Baker, he has this chip on his shoulder that drives him, and that's okay, you know? So does Michael Jordan. So does Tom Brady. So does Aaron Rodgers. So does Russell Wilson. That's okay. Whatever you got to do to motivate yourself. And so I think that, I'm not saying he's looking for a fight sometimes, but I, I think that he uses this to motivate himself and, and in turn motivates his team. So I don't, I'm not saying it's fake because I think Baker's a fiery dude, but I, I think that at some point it, it almost becomes contrived. You know, it's like when the Patriots used to do that. No one believes we can win thing. Well, you can only do that for so long when you're kicking everybody's ass and then it, it doesn't really resonate anymore. So um, I like Baker. He's a hell of a quarterback. So hopefully someone passes that along to him. <laughs> Taking the high road there, Matt. I really appreciate it. Which is that. rare for me. It really, you know, it really is. is. Whoa, you are, man, you're growing Finally old growing and up. wise. <laughs> you know, no, I also said, because uh, we got asked this a lot. We were, I mean, we tailgated in Ohio. A lot of Browns fans. They were awesome they, A lot too. of people asked, yeah. you know, what's the deal with you and Baker? And I said, you know, Baker is stick to football family, man. Our old intern is dating his family. brother, yeah. you know? Yeah, she's basically a Mayfield at this point. So I can't wait for the wedding. I know that. Uh, this would be great when we all get down there to <laughs> mellow a Baker at the same reception. It's going to be fucking wild. I, I think with Baker, this stuff is actually really fun, and you nailed it, Matt. It's about fueling him, which in turn fuels his team and a interim coaching staff there that really has some momentum going. None of this stuff will come back to bite him until they start losing. Because yep. then people will, and they could be wrong, but then people will write, is Baker Mayfield distracted or not focused on the things that matter? When you're yeah. winning, it doesn't matter. You could say and do whatever the hell you want if you're winning. So right now, it's all great. It's funny. It's entertaining in the NFL. The Browns, I can't even say have a pulse for the first time. They are moving right now. Yeah. So it's a good direction for the Browns. And I'll say one last note on this. Teammates are going to love Baker because he'll say the stuff that they wish they could say. Totally. Like, I mean, Demarius Randall fucking picks the ball off and hands it to Hugh Jackson. He's the like, best. there's obvious a lot of dislike in that front office and in the in the locker room for Hugh Jackson. So Baker's just, I think, just the guy who got a mic put in front of him. I think if you would ask any other player on that team, they would have wanted to say the same things. So, yeah, I, I know that it's hard for us on stick to football sometimes to take Baker Mayfield's side on anything, but I, I think what he's doing is is smart for, you got a young, hungry team that's now won two straight games, and they're actually maybe won't be in the bottom of their division for the first time in forever, and a lot of that credit has to go to him. Anthony Mangaluzzo has returned. Should Adoree Jackson and Jabril Peppers have their hand at the offensive side of the football? Yes. Hell yeah. Yes, they we were both better this, there. Right. <laughs> we said this when they were in the draft. Jabril Pepper should have played running back. I mean, and, and Dory Jackson, I always thought was a better slot receiver. Like, I mean, he's he's fine. Like, he's a at, at slot corner. He has speed. I never thought he had great instincts, but I would have loved to see him just play slot receiver and return kicks and punts. Like, that's all I wanted. I'm with you there. And there were a lot of people here in New Jersey that felt Jabril should have always played running back. It was on him. He did not want to play running back. Oh, yeah. He straight up came out and said, like, yeah, he, uh, I'm not a running back. I'm a safety. Yeah. I thought he could have been a pretty damn good running back. And obviously, too, man. he's always been a good returner. So, all right. This one from Alex Luna. Would Frechie, Frechie, Frechie Kitchens, uh, <laughs> would Freddie Kitchens be a good fit for Stafford and the Lions? I think so. I think he's a good coach. I think he's done yeah. a really good job there. 
I like Freddie Kitchens. Uh, he's the offensive coordinator with the Cleveland Browns right now for, for those who don't live and breathe uh, the coaching uh, higher. NFL so, life. Exactly. I, I like Freddie. He's done a very good job. I, I think one of the, the coolest things with him is the fact that, you know, as the change happens, Hugh Jackson's gone, Todd Haley's gone, and automatically like, boom, this dude gets bumped up to offensive coordinator. And he's really done a great job of playing to his guy's strengths. Like, letting Baker operate with a lot of empty packages. And, and we see a lot of motion from them and they're, they're, you know, pretty heavy on play action. Those are, are, I think some of the smart things that we're seeing them do that, that makes life comfortable for Baker. And I don't know if that makes you, you know, a head coaching candidate as some people have suggested, but I would like to see him have a chance to run his own offense. And, and with Detroit, it sounds like Jim Bob Cooter is going to be gone. Uh, thankfully, finally, it, it's amazing to me that, Someone can't build an offense around Matt Stafford, but I think Kitchen's ability, you know, he, he's coached all over. He's been, you know, a college guy. He's been a pro guy. Uh, I think his knowledge of how the offensive line sets everything up, um, the run game, you know, being a run game coordinator, running back coach, tight ends coach, like he has touched so many positions offensively that he has a great grasp of how to set everything up together and get it going. So, you know, especially as a young guy who, I mean, hell, he played quarterback at Alabama. I don't, a lot of our listeners probably are too young to remember that, but he has a lot of experience playing all or playing and coaching all over the offense. So I think those are the kinds of coaches you look for. A guy played quarterback. He's coached running backs, tight ends. Uh, so tight ends, you got to basically coach O line. He, he's coached quarterbacks, and now he's a coordinator. Like that's that's exactly what you look for. Matchazo wants to know what Bears coaches might be poached for coordinator or head coach opportunities. And who would you like to see Nagy replace them with if they do leave? Might be a little early for that, right, Matt? It might be. Um, you know, I don't think Mark Helfrich is going to get any college jobs. Dave Ragone might be the one. He's the quarterback's coach. I could see him maybe getting an offensive coordinator job. But I, I think one thing that Nagy did that was really smart was he hired guys who had either, you know, been out of football for a little bit, like Mark Helfrich, or guys who were thought of as a little bit young. Harry Highstand. Great offensive line coach at Notre Dame. He goes to Chicago. I mean, that's an upgrade for him. He's probably not going anywhere anytime soon. And he was never thought of as a, a head coaching candidate when he was at Notre Dame. So I think Vic Fangio might be the only one where you would have to worry about losing a guy. But man, Fangio's just, I mean, he's had so many chances. And and he is a guy who's a little bit older. So I'm not sure if he would be someone that would leave it's not maybe it's a Mike Zimmer situation where he finally gets his shot to to go be a head coach. But I don't think on the offensive side of things, you're really going to lose a whole lot. Um, and then defensively, if you lost Vic Fangio, I mean, that that's tough. But, you know, Ed Donatel has been a coordinator um, and he's great working with the secondary. So he would be someone that could just step up and, and probably fill that position. Tommy Coyle's asking me Chauncey Gardner to gang green. Just to answer Ooh. this one on a national perspective and <laughs> for the Jets too, Gardner is a guy that's going to probably play nickel at the next yeah. level. He's not a good tackler, but I think he's pretty good in coverage. And I think here's the thing that's so hard to answer with the Jets right now. We don't know who the hell is going to be coaching this team next year. And when Todd Bowles has been there and he's not going to be there next year, quite obvious, they've always just wanted to load up on cover guys where you'd sit there and you say, well, why would they take another safety? They have Marcus May who's been hurt a lot. Jamal Adams, who's been probably the best safety in football. Uh, show me the lie, but Gardner's <laughs> a guy that he, he's versatile. He can play free safety. He can come down and play the nickel. And I think a lot of teams in this pass happy league 
are going to value that and overlook that he's a very poor tackler where it, he probably goes in at least the third round, I think. What do you think? Yeah, I, I think you hit the nail on the head. And for the Jets specifically, like, I think they have such a need for an outside corner. I mean, after overpaying Tremaine Johnson, and he's not been good this year. You have two really, really good safety prospects. So I think with, with Gardner Johnson, like, yeah, that might be a guy you draft in the third round, depending on how well he runs and, and let him be your nickel. But the Jets have so many other problems. I mean, so many running back, wide receiver, tight end, offensive line, edge rusher, 85 corner. false starts and no timeouts right. ever. Like, I think that at this point, like I would draft a guy in the seventh round out of Alcorn State who's fast. He could play in the slot or something instead of prioritizing a nickel defender in this defense and and with all the problems they have elsewhere. So that's how I look at that is like, man, that would feel like a luxury pick for me as a, I, a Jets fan. I agree. I think you could even go into free agency and maybe look to sign a player like that. I, I think when you look at this Jets team, because we do get a lot of questions for them on the show, and I, I try not to just you know overdo it or underdo it. This is simply a team that needs to load up on the offensive line. And quietly, I think this offensive line class is starting to shape up where outside of Jonah Williams, you have Yadni Kajus from West Virginia. You have guys like Andre Dillard or Greg Little on day two. The, you know, Dillard and Little both on Greg on day two. When you look at this offensive line class, they're going to be high in demand because teams realize they got to protect their young quarterbacks like the Rams have invested in. I think the Jets need to do the same thing with Sam Darnold, where you probably don't go and reach on a receiver in round one, especially when you're picking that high. You probably want to just re-sign Quincy Nunwa. So they got to protect Sam Darnold, and, and I think it might be time to shift from loading up on this defense like they've done for the last seven drafts and, and start loading up on the offense. Five more draft on draft questions, and it's going to get weird in here. It's going to be fun. Uh, Scott Etheridge, with maybe the most important draft on draft question we've ever been asked, Connor. With the Chiefs having a week 12 bye, why was Patrick Mahomes not at the stick to football tailgate? Oh, <laughs> Mr. Ketchup has the answer to that. And we had ketchup and hot dogs. We did. Pat. Um, I would like to know. I would so, actually really like to know. Here's the behind the scenes. Um, we had the, the Joplin tailgate uh, a couple weeks ago, and a fan had DM me and was like, the Chiefs buy is the same as your Joplin tailgate. Invite Pat down. It's only an hour and a half, two hour drive. It's like, oh, that's a great idea. So text Pat, hey, we're doing this tailgate in Joplin uh, on November 13th. You got to come down. And he's like, how far is the drive? I was like, hour and a half, two hours. He's like, man, I don't think I can go four hours round trip the day before a game. So I look at the schedule. It's like, fuck, <laughs> they're not on buy that week. They're on buy Thanksgiving week. So I texted back. It's like, man, I'm sorry. I got my date's mixed up but we are going to be at Ohio state, Michigan that weekend. If you want to come and uh, I'm glad that he didn't because it was cold and rainy and I don't want our quarterback getting sick. So uh, we will, we'll figure out a way in the off season to do, maybe we'll do an event in Kansas city and we'll get Pat out there. Cause um, he is our most famous listener. So I, I gotta, think that's make that happen. Yeah. I would definitely agree with that. I think that's the next stick to football venture. So if our producer, Jesse, and producer Dan or listen, I think we're going to start hitting cities for some maybe brewery and bar events. I don't know. Just saying. Yeah. And so. he, actually, while we're talking about this, I would love to know because we get asked this a lot. So you guys as our listeners tweet us, iTunes review it, however you want to uh, get a hold of us. Would people pay five to ten dollars to offset our cost of throwing an event for you guys could come in, 
meet us. We would record the show and whatever city we're in, if it's in Kansas city, we would try to get some chiefs players, maybe some Royals players, uh, probably get Boulevard to throw in some beer. Like would people pay five or 10 bucks to come to an event like that to help us not, not to put money in our pockets just to, to cover the cost of an event. So let but us know what you think. It also gives you the idea with how many tickets sell of the numbers you're expecting. Like we yeah, never, you know, we never know what's, you know, how much food to buy, how much drinks to buy, how much space to reserve. So I think that, you know, it's not really about the cover charge. It's more of just getting a legitimate head count. So it's something we're looking into. We want to do more events for you guys. And if you're really, you know, dying to get to one, we can tell you the next big ones. Mobile, Alabama, we're going to be doing live shows for the Senior Bowl. In Indy for the Combine, we're going to be doing another big live show. So mark your calendar down. If you're in driving distance of those, if you want to go to those, those are going to be happening. Ryder Cockrine, wow, that's a hell of a name. Ooh. That sounds like a Red Dead Redemption name that I would make up. So, all right, uh, uh, total hypothetical here. Won't happen. Say you're the Jacksonville GM. The Packers offer you Aaron Rodgers for your entire 2019 draft class. Do you do it? Man, you get your ass in your car and you go pick up Aaron Rodgers yourself if that happens. I understand people are down on him right now. He looks human for the first time in his NFL career. You're offering just the 2019 draft class for a guy that is ultra competitive, is going to figure it out. You got Leonard Fournette there. You got a line there. You got a defense there. I know it's been a really down year in Jacksonville, and I understand the frustrations, but I think with a new quarterback, that team is looking a lot different. So I put this question in here specifically because I said this over the weekend in Columbus. If I were the Packers general manager, I would try to trade Aaron Rodgers. And I know people are like, that's sacrilegious. You're fucking stupid. You don't trade the most talented quarterback in football. I agree with that premise. But I also think that like this has just reached the end of its road. Like it's. I it, watch the Packers play. Rogers looked like he hates himself and he hates the city well, he and hates the team. Mike like, McCarthy. Right. So, <laughs> but it, just think if you could get, think what the Raiders got for Khalil Mack, you could get so much more for Aaron Rodgers, and you, you get rid of that burden of a $30 million a year quarterback where I would draft Tua in the 2020 draft and have all those extra picks, all that money and rebuild the team around guys like Jair Alexander, Devontae Adams. you got some young running backs who are pretty solid. I would do it. That's my hot take for the week. I would trade Aaron Rodgers. Top three teams. That would be, it. well, Jacksonville. The Giants. Yeah, the Giants would be a great one. Um, man. You're starting to, the, the Denver Broncos, maybe? Yeah, just do it all over again. Time's a flat circle. <laughs> Time's a flat circle. I would do it. Yeah, just try it all over again. Uh, next question from Ryan LaPointe. If you had to choose, would you rather take an open hit from Khalil Mack or let PK Subban take a slap shot at you <laughs> wearing standard equipment for each? Oh, man. I'm letting, I think I'm letting Khalil Mack hit me. I don't know. Dude, I, hockey pucks are so fucking hard. I know. And if it hits how you in the right away? spot, your leg will shatter. Yeah, I wonder how far away I am from PK Subban. What if it hits me in the throat? He's hurt right now. I wonder how much torque he has, you know? Like if it's if it's slowed down. Ah, dude, I'm not betting against that. I'll take the hit from Khalil Mack. I don't want either. I know that. We uh, got to do one, though. Yeah. There's no choice do. in this. Have you seen there's that guy that uh, Jack Collinsworth does it for ESPN where he like 
I saw him put like a helmet on and let Derrick Henry stiff arm him, but Derrick Henry Derrick definitely Henry sucks. Didn't really stiff arm him. <laughs> I'm surprised he didn't fumble when he did it. Uh, yeah, but I would like really do one. Like, let me pad out, not just put on a, a helmet and wear, you know, skinny jeans. Like, let's pad out and let someone hit you. I would do it. Man, we, this is something we should do. This is a ticketed event. I know everyone would pay their $5 for that. Like me, you, yeah. and Mello all have something different happen to us from a different athlete. Yeah, like I, I still think you know our our buddy Dan who passed away said that he thought he could catch a ball from Mahomes, like Mahomes fastball, like as I hard could. as he could throw it. And we were gonna do it. Like we, we were going to Kansas City a couple weeks after he had said it on the show. We were gonna do it. I, I think you know man versus you know athlete or or however you want to call it is is definitely something that we need to make happen that's but it. i i think i would rather take the slap shot at this point stick to football versus the athlete i absolutely yeah. love it wyatt charters wondering which wide receiver do you think has the most potential to become a number one if healthy it seems like metcalf has all the tools to develop into that yeah i i like metcalf i mean he's long he has some speed I, I, you know, I said earlier, I think Marquise Brown in the right scheme could be a very good player. AJ Brown, we got to see how fast he is, man. He's he's six one two thirty, and it, can he get open? So I, I think that's the biggest question mark. The sleeper here from a Texas homer is Colin Johnson. He's size and he's able to track the ball so well for a guy who is you know very very long. He has pretty good speed for being as big as he is. And he has dominated jump balls, but but also there are so many times where there's like a back shoulder fade and and he has an ability to just adjust and catch it. He's 6'6", 220, has speed. He would be my my dark horse number one in this class. Yeah, it's a great question. I, I, earlier in the show, we talked about Hollywood Brown. You know, I, I think Kelvin Harmon is the number one wide receiver. He's your guy. In this class. Yeah. I like him a lot. I think he, he just seems like such a safe pick to me, but I've seen him also win over the top where I know he has some big play in him. So, you know, obviously curious what he runs. Metcalf is fascinating. Uh, even his teammate Demarcus Lodge is really interesting because if he can become a more consistent player, you see the potential Pro Bowl talent. It's just not consistently there. A.J. Brown, I, I know a lot of people really like him. I think he's just your ideal number two kind of guy. He's a possession guy that makes things happen after the catch. I don't see number one kind of ceiling. So this wide receiver class is fascinating. It really is because there's just so many names thrown into this group. So Travis Thompson wants to know, would it make sense for the Jets to hire Cliff Kingsbury or another innovative failed offensive-minded college head coach as the offensive coordinator or as an offensive consultant to help Darnold? So... Yes, it does. Let's just make that clear. Cliff Kingsbury as the Jets offensive coordinator or any team's offensive coordinator makes a lot of sense. I am curious to see if he takes an offensive consulting job first, whether that's right away, right now, or it, over summer with the team where he can go you know, work with one of the higher profile kind of offensive teams. Whether, you know, The Rams and Chiefs always come to mind. I, I think we're starting to get the Bears into that conversation because of their rise this year and what Nagy's done with them. I don't really see him going to New England. That just seems like kind of a weird fit, but you never know. But I think I'll say this. I would put a lot of money on Cliff Kingsbury being in the NFL next year. I would too. Uh, I've actually been talking to some people about it, and so I'm glad we got this question. Um, I definitely think there's a chance that he ends up in the NFL. I I know it's something that he is considering. It's something that's been offered to him. 
over the past couple of years. And maybe like this is semantics, but I don't think Cliff Kingsbury's a failed offensive mind. I just think that he's in a, a conference where he's never going to be able to consistently beat Texas. He's never going to be able to consistently beat Oklahoma. TCU is tough. You know, like that's, that is a hard spot to win. West Virginia is tough. So I, I think when you look at that, it's like, man, he, his offenses have been great. He's still young. I mean, he's very, very smart. You talk to anyone and, and he's one of the smartest guys in college football. So I, I think he'll, he'll land somewhere in the NFL. I would love this. And I, I'm not reporting anything. I don't know anything about this. This is just my opinion. I would love to see him go to Kansas city and work with Mahomes again. I would absolutely <laughs> love it. Uh, the funny thing would be if he went to Cleveland and worked with Baker Mayfield because they hate each other. That would be funny. Yeah. That, but, that ain't uh, that ain't gonna happen. Uh, but it would what be if funny. The enemy does get a job, and yeah. that opening has to. be Oh, filled, it's perfect, right? Hey, what if the enemy takes the Colorado job? That's a good point too. I, here's my last thought on all this, Matt, and it's something that really has pissed me off this week. Does Texas Tech think they're doing better than Cliff Kingsbury after this? Right. I don't, I don't know, man. get why you fire him. It's like when you You're break Texas up with the Tech. hot girl and then realize, oh you're yeah, never gonna get the hotter girl. We've like, all no, made you, that mistake. Yeah. Up. Oh, Shit, like, I thought I was hot. You know, yeah. grass ain't always green. I guys. regret everything. Uh, all right. I don't know who they're, they're. Maybe they just feel like it's, you know, time for a a, a fresh face. But that, I know a lot of people are saying Dana Holgerson would leave West Virginia for. I don't think so. You know, Tech or Colorado Fuck or that. No way. Yeah, there's He's no way. Why would you at West, West Virginia? Virginia? Exactly. He's also a maniac. I, I really like him. If I were gonna hire someone, I would go to App State and get Scott Satterfield. Like if I were Texas Tech, that's the only dude I would I would call him right now because I think he is a very, very good up and coming coach. There must be very. someone out there that they know they can get for them to do this. Otherwise, it makes the... no sense to fire a guy like Kingsbury. I know a lot of people thought it'd be Brett Venables, but it sounds like it's not, you know. Or maybe they'll what, do the, the new thing and that's find the oldest, oldest coach you can find that hasn't been coaching anymore and hire him. Right. The Herm Edwards, Mac Brown, Les Miles uh, uh trio. Yeah. <laughs> the, the, ner- the nursing Cowher. home coaches yeah. treatment. All right. So all Maybe right. Bruce Arians will be the next head coach at Texas. Yeah, he's campaigning for that Browns job like he's running for president. <laughs> so, I wish you would. Uh, nope. Don't do it. Uh, <laughs> final one from Damn Supo. Always sends us good stuff. Best scheme fits for Josh Allen. Which, that's Matt's guy. So I'm going to let him run with it. Although I mocked him to the Lions and I heard some good feedback about that. So who knows yeah. there? And Benny Snell, their running back. Yeah, I mean, I like the Lions when they they definitely need a defensive end with all the or an outside rusher. Ziggy Ansah has just not been the guy. I, I look at teams that are going to let Josh Allen uh, operate in space where he's not going to have to, you know, put his hand right down in the dirt on every down. And and he can play some on the edge. Absolutely can. Um, I look at I'm not just saying this as a, a, a pandering to my co-host. I think the Jets would be a great fit for him schematically, but we don't know what scheme they're going to run next year. So that becomes difficult. I think Seattle would be a great scheme, but he's not going to last until the late teens, early 20s. Um, I think Green Bay, depending on what they do, he would be a very good fit with the D linemen they have. Any team that's going to run more of a slant more to a 3-4 over a 4-3 base defense, I think would be good. My my like super homer pick that will probably never happen. I would love to see him in Tennessee with what with Harold Landry on one side and Zach Allen on the other. Like, holy shit, that would be so much fun to watch those guys just attack with speed and, and Allen's length uh, countering Landry's agility would be really, really fun. And, and they are getting a little bit older at outside pass rusher. So 
that one could maybe happen, but it's also probably just unfair of me to expect. And Josh Allen just is like total dog where him and Vrabel would be. Oh, it'd be best powers connecting. It'd be so awesome. I love Mike Vrabel so much. I'm very jealous of Titans fans. I don't care how Monday night football went. He's going to be a good coach for a long time. Benny Snell is interesting because he falls into this mix of day two, early day three running backs where it's like, I've seen him be a workhorse before. doesn't have the breakaway speed, but runs with some power. I don't really even think he's like a scheme specific kind of guy. It's just that his running style isn't as valued as those guys used to be. That's, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. He needs to go somewhere where there's like already like a smaller back in place, which like, I, I hate. Tennessee. Like Derrick Henry like out, Benny Snell in, him and Deion I mean, that Lewis. would fit, actually. Yeah. yeah. Or, you know, like Miami with Kenyon Drake. Oh, I do like that. Uh, it seems like Frank Gore found the fountain of youth and is going to play football. Hall of Famer Frank Gore. Uh, All-time top leading rusher, Frank Gore. He's top three um, now? Yeah, I think he is top three. Philadelphia, if JHI is done, would be a pretty good fit. Um, Yeah, those are... We'll see. I almost said Washington, but they got Darius Geis last Buffalo. year. Oakland. Yeah. Oakland would be cool. Man, um, I'm so excited we get to do all of this. Hey, let's attach this player to teams for the next I know, what, five I'm months. I'm so ready. Let's not, uh, let's not, can I say blow our load? Can I say yeah, that? You did. So there we I go. You can. Yeah. If you don't like it, cut it. My <laughs> new favorite thing is to just have a listener say all the things that we can't. You know, like the guy asking the, the MFK question at the, the, the tailgate. Oh my like, God. That was, yeah. I've been trying what? to do that for two years on this show, buddy. Thank you for... <laughs> it is touchy. <laughs> it You're a hard. hero and a saint. It is a little touchy. Uh, all right, man. I think that's our show for Monday... For Jeez, Monday. For Wednesday morning. I don't even know what day it is. It's, Fuck it. It's been Enjoy that kind it. of week. Yep. Uh, Mello and I will be back Friday morning with our top five moments from Tailgate Tour 2018, Woo! as well as breaking down a lot of college football news. Khalil Tate, Kyler Murray, and predicting who's going to win the conference championships this weekend. Hook Texas. 